Smartcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Gina Cavalier. This is the Liberated Healer podcast, and um, today we have Dr. Greg Hammer uh, on the show, and we're really excited to have him, and welcome to the Liberated Healer podcast. Nice to meet you. Hi, Gina. Uh, nice to be with you. Wonderful. Uh, you're an MD professor at Stanford University School of Medicine, uh, a physician, a best-selling author, and a mindfulness expert. So we're going to dig in a little bit. I have your book here. Um the game without pain. And, um, a lot of it's written specifically for healthcare professionals, which I think is amazing and wonderful. Um, as a lot of my listeners know, um, I'm writing a book with the Swedenborg foundation. It's actually done about healing suicidal ideation with, um, trauma therapist, Dr. Amelia Kelly. And actually, um, why I wanted to talk to you is because one of the top professions in the suicidal list is doctors. Um, and um, nurses and um, different uh, healthcare professionals. And so this is actually, as it will work for everybody, of course, I'm sure these techniques, but there's very specific things to these amazing people that you know, we have to protect. So I, I applaud you for the book in that sense. Um, so can you just unpack that a little bit, what we, we just kind of opened with? Sure. Well, the book has, the stories are somewhat centered on the healthcare profession, but the principles are the same for everybody. And the fact is that our brains are all wired the same way. They're wired in ways that tend to make us, uh, tend to present a barrier to happiness. That includes a negativity bias. I was just reading an article that was on my CNN homepage today about that. Um, there's a lot of social science and psychology science indicating that uh, the majority of our thoughts are negative. We tend to go to negative thoughts. This negativity bias means we remember and process memories for negative experiences and kind of forget about positive ones for the most part. And the other way we're all wired is that we have a hard time being present. Mm -hmm. And when we're present, we're fully happy, right? Yeah. So we can think of examples of that. But these are the reasons that we are often saddled with low self-esteem and, and regret, shame. We overthink the past, for example, with our negativity bias that leads to shame, regret, low self-esteem, the imposter syndrome. We overthink the future and with our negativity bias, we generate a lot of fear and anxiety. So I like to talk about adaptive ways to think about the past and future. And okay. the other times we should be present, 
But yeah. we have a hard time with that. So uh, that really applies to all of us, certainly not just healthcare professionals. And the causes of dis-ease and aging actually are also the same for all of us. And they're basically related to chronic stress and inflammation. And the remedies are taking care of our physical well-being, our sleep, exercise, and nutrition, and then taking care of our spiritual well-being. And that's what the GAIN book is all about. It's about what I think are the four fundamentals of spiritual wellness, which are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, and they form the acronym GAME. Okay, that's great. Um, in my clairvoyant uh, studies, absolutely what you're saying is very similar, but without having to go to uh, medical school, <laughs> but it's very similar with the judgment, the criticisms, and the energy. Um, I just have a quick question. Um, so you're saying our brains are wired that way just to kind of go to the negative. Do you think that's a modern day affliction or do you think we were just from your research? Do you think that is just how we've been always? Or I'm just curious if uh, it's kind of our chemistry is at least has changed over time. I'm just. Interested. Well, I think that the way our brains are wired and the reason that all of us share this sort of hard wiring is that it's evolutionary. It, it, it has developed over tens of thousands of years. And what might once have been adaptive is now maladaptive with that respect. So, you know, picture, uh, you know, one of our forebears 80,000 years ago, sitting in a cave, keeping the fire going, worrying that the fire might go out or where the next piece of wood is going to come from, um, but also wary that there might be a predator, a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of the cave. If that set of parents was wary, rather negative, uh, very much focused on what might happen next, they probably lived longer because those were adaptive ways of thinking or traits, if you will. So they lived longer, they had more offspring, and the genes and epigenetics that code for this way of thinking were therefore propagated throughout the population. And here we are 80,000 years later, and that's the way our genetics and epigenetics are programmed to function. In other words, our epigenetics, let's say, has created hardwiring so that we are, our default mode is distracted by what might happen next, rather wary and negative. In other words, we catastrophize when we think about the future. And these are no longer adaptive. So uh, this is, again, why I like to kind of categorize things. I try to keep it really simple. Yeah. There's adaptive ways of thinking and there's maladaptive ways of thinking. And, for example, for me, it might be adaptive to think about what is the worst thing that could happen when I'm at work in the intensive care unit or in the cardiac OR because I want to be aware of the worst thing that might happen so I can prevent it from happening or if it does happen, I can treat it quickly. But for the rest of my life and for almost all of us, thinking about the worst thing that can happen is not necessarily adaptive. And yet we are prone to doing just that. Do you think over time we can rewire that or it's just something that will never be permanently rewired? Well, I think we could rewire it. Um, we can begin to rewire our brains right now, today. Um, and if we all did this uh, consistently, I do believe that our epigenes, our epigenetics would be modified by doing that. And then we do pass along our 
epigenetics, these little patterns of methylating our DNA or our genes to turn specific genes on and off, we do hand those epigenetics down to our offspring. That's why our brains work the way they do. It's largely epigenetic, I think. And we, we have these traits passed down to us from our forebears. So I do think if, the, if everyone in the world or the majority of us did this, then yeah, we could change the way our, our children's brains are wired and their children and their children. But I, I think we should really just focus on ourselves as individuals because we can do quite a lot right now starting today. Yeah, but it's still amazing to know that we could actually, you know, as in, uh, you know, we're one drop of, um, you know, water in a, in a, but it, we can affect the field, which I always think is really good to think about because yes. sometimes people are stuck and they can't think about themselves. So sometimes thinking about, well, you're going to help your, you're going to help others eventually is actually like, well, okay, I'll do it. You know? <laughs> well, you know, I think that's a, that's, I like that, Gina. I like the drop of water. Um, I, I use a lot of examples that are based on a stream or the ocean in terms of spiritual ways of thinking, but um, you know, we can affect others and the field, as you said, right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to try to get everyone else to cooperate so that our, children and their children begin to inherit new epigenetic formulations, if you will. We, we can actually affect the field right now. And by learning to be present, purposeful, and non-judgmental, we can affect others around us today by the way we, way we behave and experience. So as a professor, are you integrating some of these techniques into when you're you know, training people to be in the healthcare profession? Is there classes? Is this something well, that's been accepted and um, a practice that is coming forward? Well, most of the teaching that I do is in the pediatric intensive care unit and in the, in the operating room. Okay. That's where I have my medical students, residents, and fellows. I give them talks also. So I do give talks on wellness, on this sort of stuff. Okay. Um, and then I teach them, you know, like how to focus their attention through, you know, it's basically mindfulness. And I'm even reluctant to use that word because it's so overused. Yeah. But I, I will go to Dr. John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness, which is very simple. It's awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. Mm. And so okay. I, do, I do try to teach that. And when I am in the intensive care unit and before I go into a patient's room and their family is present, I take a slow, deep breath, purposeful breath into my belly. And this is how I start my gain practice, my gain meditation. And so those mm -hmm. elements of gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment come over me. So I walk in the room and I feel that I'm more present. Yeah. And if I smell cigarette smoke on the mother's sweater, if I start to make a judgment, a light bulb goes off and I realize I'm being judgmental mm -hmm. and I have a little laugh to myself. I get a little dopamine hit and I drop the judgment. Yeah, um, it doesn't matter. But for all I know, this woman quit smoking 20 years ago until, until her child had a head injury and is on a ventilator in the ICU and yeah. she had to smoke a cigarette. Uh, it doesn't matter, though, why she smells like cigarette smoke. It's got nothing to do with my role with this family and this patient. So yes, I think that mm. as we were saying prior with regard to the field, as you mentioned, 
you know, you kind of teach it just by being it, don't you? Yeah. I love it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine the intensity that you have to go in there and you probably have, you know, it's one after the next when you're on, on call, you know, and you're just, uh, but taking that one little minute to just reset and, and let go of all the other, other situations of the other people. So you can really give that family their one-on-one -on -one presence, which they can feel it, you know, even though they're in an emotional situation, you don't yourself want to be in an emotional situation, I guess. Absolutely correct. And, you know, when I decided to go into intensive care, people said, well, you can't get too close to your patients. And I always was puzzled by that. And that's not my style. I like to get as close to the patient as I and their family as I can. And yes, is it heartbreaking when the patient doesn't have a good outcome? And even more so, perhaps that I'm close to that patient and their family, of course. But I also decided when I determined to go into critical care medicine, that I was going to take this pain on sort of head on and learn how to accept it. And that's the A in game because acceptance is required for us to be mindful, present, at peace and happy. You know, life is full of pain. Um, my son passed away at the age of 29, six years ago. So that pain is not really going away, but I can accept what happened it was beyond my control. And as a serenity prayer would have it, we need to discern what we can change and what we cannot change and what we cannot change. We are well served to accept. And so that's been my philosophy in medicine from early on is that, you know, you, if you can't accept the tragedy in the world, um, I was just listening to a Jack Cornfield podcast. Um, just in the hour before you and I got together. And somebody asked him, well, how do we deal with all the pain and suffering that's going on in the world, in, in Israel and Gaza and in the Ukraine? And, you know, of course, he gave his usual simple but elegant responses that, you know, you can send your heart out to everyone, but these are not circumstances you can change. And so you're not well served by obsessing or focusing on the pain and suffering that's going on there, um, except to the extent to which it's it's adaptive to accept that there is pain and suffering in the world and there's pain and suffering right here in this body and this soul. And so the sooner we learn to do that and, you know, that's difficult. It takes a it takes a practice, but that's what the game practice is. We do actually spend just 45 seconds a day on acceptance because it's really a three to five minute program, um, including all those elements, but acceptance is key. Well, I just want to mention, I'm really sorry about the loss of your son. Um, I, my brother died at 29. So when you said the name, the age 29, it was like, okay, you know, um, it's such a life's cut so short. So my deepest. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I can say that I can imagine your suffering. I don't know how close you were to your brother, but it doesn't matter. Um, I saw my daughter, um, who was very close to her brother, suffer. And, and she's actually a psychotherapist. And, you know, she has accepted it through a purposeful practice of acceptance. But um, and I, I would get I would guess that you've probably done that, too. 
Yeah, I mean, different routes, but um, for me, it was spirituality and seeing um, our life path and making it the best we can. And I, you know, appreciate what you're saying about the wars, because I really believe that it's possible that these are only going to get worse. And the best thing, of course, that the only thing we can really do is keep a high vibration and try to stay in something, you know, positive as much as possible, you know, because if all of us go down in the negative hole, I mean, it's only going to make continue that, that energy towards that. And, and that can be very difficult. So, um, and you, in your, in your book, you mentioned lots of different things I wanted to bring up you because we're going into the winter. Right. And, um, uh, why does, why does winter make us more prone to anxiety and depression and burnout? It's, I mean, to me, I just moved back from Montana to California. So I know why I was, feeling that way. It was a physical feeling of heaviness, you know, and, um, that affected me, you know, so I could easily understand that, but what is that whole winter thing that is a shift? If you can explain that. Well, you know, again, I try to keep things really simple, Gina, and I would actually, um, I know you're interviewing me. I'd be, I, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on you, you referenced this heaviness or what have you coming back to California in the winter um, or with respect to the winter. So I, I'd like to hear more about why you feel that way. But I think that many of us are very sensitive to light and we're all very sensitive to nature. And so I think, you know, if it's winter time and maybe we're actually going somewhere to work other than home and we get up and go to work in the dark and we come home in the dark and the only light we get that's natural is through a window, if that, um, you know, I think that affects many of us. I, I'm very affected by my environment. I grew up outside of Chicago. Uh, it was always a little bit hazy, even on the clearest day, except in the middle of winter when the humidity was probably almost zero uh, and it was 20 below zero outside. But uh, when I came to California many, you know, actually decades ago, I just really appreciated the depth of the blueness of the sky and the brilliance of the colors. And I, that's in my gratitude, in my gain meditation every morning. It's, it's living in this beautiful environment and I'm very sensitive to my surroundings. I collect art, uh, the, the aesthetics of my home are very important, but that light is really important. And I think it is for a lot of people. And so what happens is we get a little bit derailed. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that, again, go to the simple, qualities of our physical well-being and our spiritual well-being and they're very interrelated but with regard to our physical well-being sleep exercise and nutrition are very tightly interwoven and when we get a little bit sad for whatever reason we tend to get a little bit off the rails with regard to our sleep exercise and nutrition so um you know maybe we're not sleeping quite as well we're we're tired we tend to pick up some sugary foods I know nothing hits the spot more than a piece of chocolate seized candy when I've been on call and up most of the night and I'm walking by the nursing station at this time of year and there's candy out. And this is not good for me, I know, but we, we're we tired. We tend to pick up sugary foods to get a, a brief boost in our energy. Then we crash. We're too tired to exercise. So that begins to decline. And so our sleep, exercise, and nutrition kind of create this sort of self-propagating cycle where we're further and further off the rails. And it may start with not enough 
nature, not enough being outside in nature, not enough sunlight affecting our mood. And then it gets into this sort of positive feedback loop of poor sleep, not enough exercise and, and poor diet. And that just keeps going. So then gradually in the spring, the days are getting longer. We're seeing some green. Our mood improves. We start sleeping a little better. We start getting more mindful about what we're eating. And then we exercise more and we get it back together. But, you know, I think a lot of things can kind of bump us a little bit off the rails, whether it's an event in our lives, a conflict with a loved one or someone at work or the loss of a loved one or a pet or the winter and, you know, not getting outside enough and not getting enough daylight. Well, I think it's interesting when you follow nature, especially in the winter, say like the big trees, like in Montana, it was fascinating to watch that though, that they just completely shut off. You know, um, they, they, they shut off, they go gray, everything falls off. They look completely dead. I mean, they just look dead, you know, they're not, and they're giant. Right. And then as soon as spring comes, I mean, all of a sudden you just look to the left and then boom, the whole tree has leaves. You're, you didn't even, you're like, I didn't even see that. Um, <laughs> how did that happen so fast? Uh, but that whole seasonal process is really beautiful to watch. And that's what I appreciated about the one year I had there. I did get to see the four seasons, but we obviously have to have some kind of a similar thing, just a little bit similar. And for me, I felt like when winter came, I couldn't be as a creative um, I wasn't exercising as much, like you said, the light, um, not out in nature as much because it, it was a whole process. And so I almost went into this hibernation mode for me and, um, I didn't feel like I could write. I didn't feel like, so for me, my, my body naturally went like mm, curled up. And so, because I'm a very productive person, that was hard for me because I had to have a conversation with me and say, but I'm like, but I physically don't want to. <laughs> and so that was my I didn't feel like myself there because I wasn't in my schedule, you know, and I was born in LA. I think that, you know, so just to pe I think I just think it's interesting though, how the trees shut off. And so we kind of do that too, I believe. Well, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I, I hate to think we have to go through that sort of contraction process that you were describing. Um, you know, I, I, what I do and what I recommend when you feel yourself contracting in that manner and maybe getting a little down and negative and more negative than usual and a little bit depressed, focus on those simple elements of sleep, exercise, and nutrition, first of all. Like pay a little extra attention to your sleep hygiene. Don't have that cup, cup of coffee in the afternoon because if you're sensitive to caffeine, it takes five or six hours for the caffeine level in your blood to be reduced by 50%. So that cup of coffee you have at one o'clock results in a peak level in your blood around 145 or two, but it's seven or eight. It's like having a half a cup of coffee. Yeah. So, and then a quarter of a cup of coffee when you should be sleeping. So focus on making the room dark and cool and put your screens away an hour or two before you go to bed. Don't have alcohol anywhere near bedtime. Don't eat too late. You know, the simple things we all know about, but we tend to backslide, you know, thing, the world tends to go toward chaos and, our sort of disciplined, organized way of doing things sometimes because becomes unraveled. Exercise, you know, double your efforts to go outside, put some layers on if it's cold outside, go for a power walk, be outside, you know, even if it's not light outside, 
take a flashlight or try to get outside, especially during those few hours of daylight that you have. I was on a podcast in Alaska yesterday. So the sun comes up at 11 in the morning and it sets around 2.30 in the afternoon. But, you know, make an effort to get outside then. Um, and then with regard to your nutrition, you know, reinforce your efforts to move toward a more plant-based diet. Get lots of colors of phytochemicals in your diet. Um, don't eat refined sugars or refined foods in general, um, even a lot of starchy foods. Um, you know, so in other words, focus on the basics of your physical health and then, you know, have your daily gratitude practice, your gain practice, whatever else you do for your spiritual well-being. So I think when we get off the rails, we feel ourselves contracting a bit. That's the time for that light bulb moment to say, okay, now I really need to go back to those basics of physical and spiritual health and, and redouble my efforts to get things back on the rails. I have a question about sugar. Um, I mean, I just I go to the grocery store and you just kind of look everywhere. It's just so much everywhere. And what I started a recent practice was I just, you know, I look at everything and I wouldn't buy it because I kind of live farther from a grocery store. So anytime I needed to have like a thing, like I would have to, I have to look at what I have available to me. And it's like, I have a pear, I have an apple or, you know, what, whatever. So I found that I really wasn't having hardly any sugar for like six months straight. A, I lost some weight. My sleep got better, but I'm wondering, um, do you kind of read change your chemical balance when you like really cut sugar out? Because I don't find I crave it anymore. Like yes. if people want some chocolate. I'm like, no, like I just, I don't eat it. Like, but I, I feel like I've actually changed my response to it. And the second thing as well is I don't eat red meat or um, pork or anything like that for probably about 10 years now. And the same thing, it's almost like it, even if it gets, I don't care what other people, I'm not judging them, but when it comes around me, it's almost like I've lost the taste or my, my uh, body almost has a chemical reaction to it. So is that true? Does uh, medically, does that happen? Well, um, I think there's both the physiologic changes that occur in response to ingesting refined carbohydrates, sugars. And then there's the sort of psychological thing. So I think anything we do that gives us a little buzz, right, is addictive. And, you know, on the benign side, we call it, well, I'm a creature of habit. I have this bit of sugary stuff after dinner every night because it's part of my meal. Um, so there's the sort of psychological dependence, I think, on that bump in our energy level we get from sugar. Um, mm -hmm. And then we crash, but we sort of forget about that. Or we have some more sugar when we crash. And then there's the, the physiologic response to sugar. And there's just so much science now on uh, the adverse changes that occur in our body when we have sugar. And this even applies to complex carbohydrates in some people. So one thing I would recommend for people if they can, and I think we're going to be doing a lot more of this in the years to come, it will become much more common to have a continuous glucose monitor. So these little glucose monitors that diabetics have, um, you can get by prescription. Um, they just go on the back of your arm. I mean, you can put them anywhere theoretically, but this is a convenient place because it's sort of out of the way. They have a tiny little needle that's affixed to a pad that adheres to your skin. You can keep them on for two weeks at a time. You sync it with your phone with an app. Amazing. 
and you see your blood sugar. So when you have something sugary and you actually see this graph going from your baseline of around 100 to 190, yes, you could start to actually picture what's going on in your body. You're, you're firing your islet cells in your pancreas to produce insulin and all these other things are happening. And you can actually read and really embody the adverse changes associated with sugary foods. Um, yes. And I think seeing this graphic depiction is really helpful. So, you know, I've stopped eating. I mean, I still, I love chocolate. I'll have a little bit of chocolate now and then. Um, I've pretty much stopped eating starchy foods too, because I, when I had this continuous glucose monitor on, I saw that even having a sandwich with a whole grain bread and healthy ingredients bump my blood sugar over 150. Okay. And I try to prevent it from going over 150. And, um, you know, so I've stopped pretty much stopped eating bread and, you know, I'll have the occasional like potato or sweet potato with some veggies and so on, but I don't eat a lot of starches. Potatoes don't bump my blood sugar that much. Interestingly. So um, I like this because like you said, everybody's so different, you know, yeah. somebody else might potatoes might balance out well for them, but yeah. So, and people are so visual. They can't see. That's why spirituality was such a, a like, is this really happening for so long? Because they couldn't see it. Um, but this is great because you can really build a relationship with your internal body visually. I love that idea. And there's just a lot of science now on the inflammatory effect, effect of spiking blood sugar. And basically, you know, chronic inflammation low-grade inflammation, whether it's, you know, gum disease or too much sugar or uh, holes in your gut and, you know, leaky gut syndrome based on your diet, primarily uh, your gut microbiome. There's a lot of things that cause low-grade chronic inflammation and it actually ages us. Yes. And we're, we're also, I think, in five years going to have much more accurate bi biologic clocks. So you can actually have your, just from a cheek cell, you know, you swab your cheek cell, you say, put it in a tube and you send it off and they'll tell you what your telomere lengths are. And, uh, you know, looking at your DNA methylation, what your biologic age is, I, th that's available now, but I don't think it's ready for prime time, but sugar and unhealthy diets and not having a period where you're letting your gut rest as in intermittent fasting does. So many things lead to chronic low-grade inflammation um, and, and oxidation. So we need to focus on our antioxidant health and especially our anti-inflammatory health and sugar, refined foods, uh, lots of things that many of us do every day are contributors. Yeah, inflammation. I mean, you hear it all the time everywhere now, uh, just the you know basis of so many chronic illnesses that people are suffering greatly. Um, I had chronic fatigue syndrome for about 20 years ah. and I healed it. It was so, it was the hardest thing I pretty much ever did in my life. You know, just night sweats, um, no lethargic brain fog, all that stuff. And, um, it was very depressing and it, it contributed to suicidal ideation because I just felt like it was never going to go away. Um, things like that. I, I, the pro I, I changed completely how I ate. Um, I, you know, and I, I contributed that to really a big part of my healing. And I added my own spirituality in it, which was 
you know, being present, like you said, and doing the work as in like really paying attention and bring that awareness and stuff. So, you know, inflammation, every time I hear anything is inflammation, <laughs> inflammation. And like you said, aging and everybody wants to de-age, right? But then they're almost doing the counter. They're doing the, the really surface level things to, to de-age, but they're not doing, you know, this groundwork, which is like you said, changing your diet and things like that. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's fascinating, Gina. We're learning so much about low-grade chronic inflammation, uh, oxidation, um, how to measure our biologic age, what we do that contribute to being younger or older biologically, and such an exciting area of science. Um, you know, I just can't consume enough of the science. It's just fascinating. So. The good news is that there is a lot that we can do for our health. I think what we all want is to be healthy and thriving physically and mentally and spiritually. You know, we, you ask somebody, would you like to live to 110? Well, I mean, if they're unhealthy and not particularly happy, no, that would be a punishment. But would you like to be like this person who's 100 and playing paddle ball and getting together with their great grandchildren every Sunday and you know, playing bridge or whatever it is with their community, you know, their friends and so on. Um, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's not just about living a long time. It's about health span, right? It's about living a long time in good health. Yeah. And, and there's just so much information on this now. It's such, such an exciting time in, in health span medicine. Oh, I'm so excited. I love the glucose monitor, anything that makes it easier and uh, for people to kind of understand themselves. And I just want to do a shout out to all the farmers out there. I live in a farm town and, you know, just watching them put this love into things that we eat all day, you know, and I just appreciate them so much. I don't think they get enough um, energy or attention, you know. Um, and I just want to ask you a quick question before we move on. Um, would you be interested in doing a, a couple minute meditation? And we could also separate that to people who want to just put that on. Um, is that something you're comfortable in doing? Oh yeah. I do that all the time. Okay. So um, we'll do that at the very end, but I wanted to see, is there anything that you think that we kind of really should hit home really at the end uh, before we move into the meditation that you kind of want to your like message? Well, I would just like everybody who's listening to know that, we all have this negativity bias. We all have a hard time being present. This is not anybody's dirty little secret. This is the way our brains are wired. So I think, you know, many of us feel ashamed and, oh, if, you know, this imposter syndrome, if everybody knew what my, how dark my thoughts were about, you know, how I feel unqualified to be doing what I'm doing and I feel like a fake, like I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. Nobody would want to be my friend or work with me or respect me anymore. No, we all feel that way. So please don't feel isolated or as though, you know, you are the one with this personality defect. No, we're all wired that way. And the good news is that our brains have this amazing quality called neuroplasticity. That means we can change the way we think. So we can actually rewire our brains and they became this way over tens of thousands of years of evolution. We're not gonna turn them 180 degrees all at once, but we can begin to rewire our brains baby steps at a time. And it's rewarding, it's uplifting and it's fun. 
So I would say that, and that's what this gain practice is all about. It's a three minute meditation that we do in the morning. We set our intention the night before, uh, we set our alarm three minutes earlier than we might otherwise. We go to bed three minutes earlier than we might otherwise. We get up in the morning, we open the blinds, we do our morning hygiene, we find a comfortable place to sit and we close our eyes and begin the practice. And it's very simple. And the thing is that the more we do this, the more we have those light bulb moments when we're being ungrateful or resisting something uncomfortable or lapsing into our old habits and not being intentional or purposeful or being overly judgmental. A light bulb goes off and we recognize what we're doing and we can just stop doing it and, and drop the judgment, bring in gratitude, et cetera. So it's, it's really an amazing process. It's, it's so positive, so simple and actually fun. All right, let's do it. Okay, so I'm gonna close my eyes. So I hope everyone else will as well, no cheating. Mm -hmm. And we spend just 30 seconds focusing on our breath. So we're gonna slow our breath down. We're gonna take a slow, deep breath through our nose, maybe to a count of three, filling our chest, breathing into our belly, feeling our torso, our body expand into a slow count of three, pause to a count of three, and then let the breath go without effort through the nose or mouth to a count of four. Slowly in, pausing, slowly out. We can feel our parasympathetic nervous system being activated, our vagus nerve, our heart rate slowing. You can imagine that our blood pressure is coming down, our blood sugar is coming down, and we're just feeling relaxed. And then we go to a brief contemplation of that for which we're grateful. I'm so grateful for the loved ones in my life, my family, my good friends. I'm so grateful for this day, just to be on the right side of the grass, to be alive today. It beats the alternative. I'm grateful for the love of my dog. I'm grateful for my good health. May it not be perfect. I'm so grateful to be in a safe place with a roof over my head and food in the kitchen, unlike so many other people in the world. I'm so grateful for my circumstances. And we move to the A in gain, which is acceptance. And we actually focus on a uncomfortable or painful experience, the loss of a loved one, perhaps uh, falling out with a friend. And we're actually gonna bring this experience closer and closer, sort of out there. We're bringing it closer. We're bringing it right next to our bodies, opening our chest, opening our heart, bringing this painful experience into our, our heart, actually nourishing it, supporting it, resting into it. And we do this while we link it to the breath, slowly in, pausing slowly out, holding this uncomfortable experience in our heart. And we ask ourselves the question, can I live with this pain forever? And the answer at some point will be yes. And we move to the eye and gain as we again remember the breath, slowly in, pausing, filling our bodies slowly out. 
and our intention is to be present. So we can focus on our present physical experience, the pressure of the chair against our body, maybe the sound of a car or an airplane going by in the distance, the slightly sweet smell of the air we're breathing, the tingling on the soles of our feet. We rest into this present experience. And we commit to being intentional, more positive, more present, kind, compassionate, generous. And we link this to our breath again, slowly in, expanding, pausing, slowly out. And we move to the end and gain, which is non-judgment. So let's picture an image of the earth apparently floating in space, one of these beautiful NASA images. And the earth is beautiful, but it's just a planet. It is neither good nor bad. The earth is just the planet that it is. It is neither good nor bad. And so it's only logical for me to believe that I too am just the person that I am. I'm neither good nor bad. I am just the person that I am. I simply am. And we link this I amness to our breath, slowly in, pausing, releasing without effort, deeply into our belly, expanding our chest, expanding our body. I am neither good nor bad. I simply am. I am. And we just return our complete attention to the breath. Slowly in, pausing, slowly out. And we repeat this. And now we simply open our eyes slowly and we're ready to go out in the world. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Hammer. It's been a pleasure having you today. Here's your book, Gain with Gain Without Pain. Without the pain, you can do it. Um, again, thank you to all of the healthcare workers. And I am so happy that you're really helping them kind of whatever, wherever they, they need it to, because we have to think about these, these people putting, you know, doing this lovely work for, for us as a community. Thank you so much. I really appreciated your time today and everybody. Um, thank you for like sharing and subscribing and, um, just, you know, being here with us and building, helping to build such a um, positive, warming community and getting through everything, um, you know, lifting all of us up where we can, where we need. And, you know, it's been a beautiful day. Thank you so much. This is Gina, Liberated Healer. Thank you, Dr. Greg. Thank you, Gina. See you again sometime. Okay, bye. Podcast.